Hi, this is Patty Johnson. My Be A Wavemaker podcast is a conversation on change, how to lead it, prepare for it, and thrive when work and life are full of surprises. I'll have Wavemaker guests join me and we will share ideas, tips, and strategies you can use now. We all want to build resilience and increase our confidence in ambiguity. This conversation is where we deconstruct these topics to give you real-world insights so you not only welcome change, but initiate it. I hope you'll join us. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the topic today that might seem a little bit like a contradiction, but it's inspiring action. And how can you inspire others and get stuff done? And I think we have literally the perfect person to have this conversation. And so my guest today is Tammy Pinkston. Welcome, Tammy. Thank you. Yeah, glad you're here. Now, I want to just give you just a few headlines on Tammy before we jump in so you have some context. She is a true Renaissance woman. Literally, her experiences are the most interesting blend of, I think, anybody I know. Number one, she's Dr. Tammy Pinkston, has her PhD in strategic management. She is a senior executive at Information Services Group, very experienced business person, knowledgeable business person, national leader at Alpha, with Alpha Delta Pi, a national women's organization on many hundreds of campuses, champion of women's rights, former professor, and a competitive, has been a competitive baton twirler. I don't know anyone who's had a more interesting mix of experiences. Tammy, what have I missed as just sharing who you are to our listener? Yes, I am all of those things. And in fact, I would add beauty pageant winner to the list because it caused me to change, to transfer undergraduate institutions. So I left Clemson and transferred to East Tennessee State University when I was Miss Johnson City, which is part of the Miss Tennessee and the Miss America pageant system. And I made over 250 public appearances that year, either speaking or twirling, or I I actually sing as well. So I sang in some places where I couldn't twirl the baton. But it, it changed the trajectory of my life. So I have these sorority and beauty pageant and twirling things in my background. And then I have the academic with an an MBA and a PhD. So when they give me grief about these frillier, girlier things, I say, yep, and you can call me Dr. Pinkston. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You've literally done everything. One other thing I should mention is Tammy has a lot of orange in her closet. A lot. Yes, indeed. Lots of orange and purple. Clemson love is alive and well. So yes, we'll, we'll talk football another day, but Yes, you're well represented there. So let's dive into our topic. I have seen you in action, and I know that in times of change, you have to bring other people along with you. You cannot do it alone. It takes a little inspiration. Let's talk about this topic of inspiration. What are your thoughts on how you do that? How can you inspire others, bring them with you? What are the strategies you use? Well, I first really think you have to be authentic right? You have to be passionate and you have to believe in what you're doing. And I, I spend a lot of time working with individuals, 
females in particular that are older than me who are still so tied to this hierarchical and position power. And I used to teach principles of management. We talked about five types of power. And they were so hung up on the hierarchy and the fact that I hold this title, which means people have to do what I say. We live in a time, especially for individuals and young women in particular are my passion, that are coming behind us that could care less about our positions. It's about the referential. It's about seeing someone you want to be like, that person who inspires you and causes aspirations for you. I mean, you know, the thing that I think about all the time is we've gotten to a place where people are watching the Kardashians on TV because they want to be like them. And we have to let go of the traditional spectrum of power and how you get people to follow and just recognize people follow the people they want to be like. They follow people who they deem experts. So it isn't about position. It is about who you are. It's about how you can reach them and they recognize those qualities and want to be like you. So to me, it's much more about touching their heart than it is touching their head. You know, uh, there's several interesting little tidbits in what you just said. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, you talked about some of the of the people who rely too much on position. I have authority, therefore you're going to want to follow me. What about the flip where you don't have the position, the authority, but yet you still need to bring other people along with you on your change? Is that different? I don't think it's different. I think the process is really the same. And I think that the process is you have to understand the change that you are pursuing, that you want to achieve. And the bottom line is whether you're in power or whether you are a peer or a subordinate, you have to be able to articulate what this change looks like. So kind of the the desired future state, whatever that may be, and do the gap analysis with what the current state is. But the bottom line is to move people in a change of any type, it's fundamental human behavior. You know, the, the great irony of my life is I started at Clemson as an undergraduate double major, Spanish and psychology. And I was like, oh, I don't really want to stay in school long enough to be, you know, get my medical license and be a psychiatrist. So I'm going to switch over to the business school and through 10 years straight through with the degrees. And here I am, however many years later, and I'm doing IO psychology work. Human behavior is fascinating. I agree. Agree. There's never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. And, you know, this topic of inspiration, let's just kind of tease that out a little bit more because you kind of touched on having that bigger purpose. What's it going to be like in the future? Where are we going? One of the most common questions I get when I am, you know, doing change workshops or talking to clients or whatever about this topic is, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of an introvert. I'm I can't be the person in front of the room like you can, Tammy, and, you know, and inspire and carry the day. I'm just, that's just not me. But what about someone with that profile? Can they still be, find a way to be inspirational and bring other people along? 
Absolutely. And you're right. That that's I'm not an introvert. So that is that is not my profile by any stretch of the imagination. But what I do find is typical with introverts is they've done their homework. They have thought so much about the change that they want to be part of. So a lot of times where the extroverts are flying by the seat of our pants, the introverts are very well prepared and they really can articulate when asked what's in it for people and why the change is necessary. So they've got the data. They can prove the point. And if they are still not comfortable in a, in a speaking situation and trying to help people understand, enlist others, right? Change is all about having that vision and then creating sponsorship. Because I, I just told a group last night as we were preparing for an undergraduate leadership summit, vision is a powerful, powerful thought and concept, but you can't do it alone. You have to have the actions that will get you there and you have to be able to communicate it in a way that will inspire others to go with you on that journey. So I think introverts can be very, very powerful with their their data driven, their thought that they have put behind where they want to head. And then they can enlist those individuals who can be the vocal champions and help them communicate in ways that they may not personally be comfortable doing. Yeah. And I think what you're saying too, you, you can't do change alone. We know that. And so no matter where you are, what your profile is, if you have other people around you to help build that out, you know, it's funny too. I think about, you know, you have those faces that come to mind of people that were inspiring the one that comes to mind was somebody who was not really an introvert, but he was one of those spoke when he had something important to say. Everybody listened, had a purpose. So it's not always the motivational speaker that is, you know, somebody that has influence and can bring other people along, which I think is, you know, is kind of what you're, you're saying. You can bring what you have and supplement. And so you mentioned that getting stuff done about action and how you can't do it alone. I want you to talk about how do you approach making progress when you're in chaos? Think about 2020, right? We couldn't see two days in front, ahead of us sometimes. How, how do you think about still moving forward, making decisions of what matters and what doesn't when you're trying to, you're trying to make progress in, in high change? Yeah, and 2020 has taught us all a lot. And, and I actually think it's going to be one of the greatest platforms for organizational change management that I've ever had because every single human being has had to make adjustments. And we have survived for the most part. I know that there have, there have been too many lives lost for sure. But those of us who have survived it have made adjustments and we've recognized that the world hasn't come to an end. So it's going to be a really good platform for organizational change practitioners. But, you know, the, the challenge that I think we experienced with this situation was we couldn't and still can't predict the end. So those of us who have very, very strong orientations to change, have, you know, great tolerance for ambiguity and can kind of go with the flow, it began to even get to us because we didn't know when the chaos was going to end. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. And those of us who are resilient can get through anything for any amount of time, right? But when you don't know what that time frame is, it challenges even those of us who are highly resilient with change. So you you have to begin to focus on what you can control and what you can't. And you know, everybody for years in project management, time management, all of those things have said, you know, create your list, figure out what it is you can accomplish, figure out what you might not be able to get to in the timeframes, et cetera. You, you kind of go through a list where you think, okay, I, ca- I can accomplish these pieces on my own, but to accomplish the other items that are on this list, I need others, or I need a timing, or I need an event, or I need something else to happen. So I think that you get through chaos by recognizing what you want to do longer term, but then being able to focus on the pieces that you can address, that you can control, that you can achieve, and all of a sudden you're on the path. Right. You know, you're a very goal-oriented person, a very planful person. And the situation you're just describing there, where there's so much uncertainty, how did you adapt or how have you adapted in similar situations the way you plan, the way you even think about, am I being successful here? Well, I think sometimes success equals equals survival, right? (laughs) So I, I don't get too hung up on creating a plan and a path and executing it at all cost. Because I also think that there's value in the process. So, you know, it took me a long time because delegation was one of the hardest skill sets that I had to learn. And years ago when I was serving as chapter president in the sorority, that was one of the greatest life lessons that it ever gave me was you, you can't do it alone. You have to delegate. And oh, by the way, there's probably more than one path to get there. And as long as you're, you're focused on the outcome, does the process really matter? And for most of what most of us do, it doesn't. It, 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 is, it is the outcome that ultimately determines success. But we learn so much through the process. So if I'm facing chaos or if I'm in a situation where I know most of the variables, my, my process in this change journey is, is really the same. And I, I mentioned it in passing a moment ago. It is knowing what the future state looks like, knowing what the current state is like, defining the gap between the two, and identifying the variables that need to change to get to your desired We used to say end state, right, in this profession, but there is no such thing as an end state. It's just future state because it's constantly evolving. Yes, you can. I want you to talk about a situation. I don't know enough about it, but I know you're very actively involved in the violence against women on campus and being a leader in, in that. And that, again, you think about you're talking about future state, how things should be and where we are today is not where we want to be. Tell me how you thought about how am I going to get traction on this issue? Because I know you had to influence and talk to many, many people to get the progress you're looking for. Yeah, and it it definitely was not an easy journey. And I will tell you that that was that was a journey that I had to leave midway through. I, I'm still an advocate, but as my in my role as international president 
of AD Pi at the time, I was made aware of the statistics of sexual assault and violence against women in particular on our college campuses. And I, I was appalled. I, I really had no idea. I'm not married. I have no children. So I'm, I wasn't as tuned into that as I, as I probably could have been in that particular position. But I received, along with the executive director, a letter, letter from a mom of one of our members, sisters, who had had been a victim of this. And the way that our organization had handled it left a lot to be desired. So this was in the March timeframe and I was going out of office in June. And I said, you know, this we, we can do something about this. We can educate our volunteers and we can make safer spaces for our women to come forward. And, you know, one of the things that drives me is, is a, creating space for young women in particular to live their best life. And I was, I was raised in the South and, you know, one of the greatest resistance areas that I, I faced in this space was when you're raised in the South, you just don't talk about the bad things you ignore them and you you just you just don't talk about them and it's like that's not where we are in 2020 our women need to be able to talk about the things that are causing the greatest challenges to them this has to, has to be a safe space and we've got to train and and educate our volunteers that that's part of their responsibility whether they like it or not and it's a it is a very uncomfortable space but i embarked on this program got the board to recognize, and all I had to do to get the board to recognize was read this letter from this mom to say, look, we have an opportunity to do something to address this, and I believe it's our responsibility to do so. So the board backed me and and got on, on this, and by June, we had a program that was going to roll, and it did roll out to all of our active chapters. And that was, I think, about 160 or so at the time. And so we introduced it at our convention that summer, literally the day after we had had elections for the next board and the next international president, because I had timed out. Right. And I will tell you wholeheartedly, I did not go through the normal change process. I did not do enough on the stakeholder management pieces. I did not do enough on communicating and getting the sponsors and getting the organization bought in because I did not have time. You didn't have time, yeah. But I knew how critical this was. I knew how important it was. And I was betting that at least 50% of our organization was going to understand and was going to get behind it. I, I knew that the more conservative members and volunteers were, were going to have a, have a problem with it. And so, you know, after the fact, people were really still giving me a hard time. Well, I didn't know about the program. You didn't tell us about the program. You didn't. And, and we had just done a brief introduction at convention that summer. And I just, in my response to them, I say, you're absolutely correct. I didn't follow the normal process. I didn't do enough of the, the sponsorship and the communication building. But I got one question for you. Would you rather I have done all of that and run out of time to not launch the program and run the risk of it never happening? Because I, I didn't know who would be international president after me. 
And I said, I really have no regrets because we got the program far enough in the launch that it couldn't be stopped. Right. And so the, the lesson to take away from that is there are some times when you're not going to go through or have the opportunity to go through what you know is the right plan around the change. But if you believe that it is the right thing to do for the right reasons, for the larger or greater good, then you just go for it. And it's the, do I ask permission or do I ask for forgiveness? Right. Because right. you know, a lot of times organizations don't know what they don't know and they don't know what they need. Right. Well, and that was an example of where you knew it was going to take the push for a var- maybe a variety of reasons, it sounds like. Not just time, but also it was just going to take a push. Yes, it, it was going to take a push and it was going to take someone who feared less. Yeah. But it wasn't going to be the vocally popular position. But you know, the, the gratification comes when individuals who never in a million years would be vocal about this come back around and say, I really wish we'd had a program like this when I was on campus. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because they just, they just still to this day as adult women won't talk about it but they know we need it, right? But we've, we've got to get beyond that. I I believe that we should be able to talk about anything. And I know, you know, we share a consulting background and I can remember so many partners early on that said, oh, you don't ask a question that you don't want to, you know, that you don't already have the, answer, know to. the answer to. Yeah. I'm like, well, I, I, I believe in dialogue. I believe in discussion. And I believe if I ask the question, they give me an answer, even if I don't, think it's the right answer or it's a different than what I'm thinking. I need, I know what they I know what they're thinking now. So it's really all about getting things on the table. And this the thing is true with change activity as well. Wouldn't you rather know where your advocates are and where your adversaries are so that you can spend time where you're needed to build the support for what it is you're trying to achieve? You know, if you if you don't talk about it, you don't allow people to talk about it. You don't allow people to voice their concerns. You have no idea what you're up against. Well, and right. And I think you you made the comment about your starting point or today. I mean, I think what you're getting at is you have to have a realistic view what where you are, what today is before you can ever, you know, move to improving the situation and making it better. I want to talk about that, you know, the decisions that you made and how you make decisions when, in your example, maybe didn't know everything, you hadn't done everything that you wanted to do. A lot of us like to make decisions after we have all the facts. And it's funny, Tammy, I can remember, you probably may not, I can remember us sitting in a corner bakery one day, (laughs) you're going to go, where is she going with this? And you said something that it really stuck with me, a quote, and I have used it many times. And you said, if you have all the answers, you've waited too long. And I thought that was so wise because in high change, you're never going to. And, I, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? And, you know, if you think about even the situation you just described, about making decisions when you don't, you just don't know everything. Yeah, I, I still feel the same way. I really believe when you have all the answers, you, you've waited too long or you're not striving 
far enough out, right? And I, I think this goes back to my PhD program too, where I read a seminal book on decision-making. And fundamentally, there's two types of decision-makers. You're either a satisficer or you're a maximizer. And if you're a satisficer, you find a solution that works and you move. If you're a maximizer, you do thorough analysis, you look at all of the options, weigh the pros and cons, and then you're able to execute. Well, just by the way that I talk, anybody that listens to this is going to know I fall into the former category. (laughs) Because again, I'm not rocket scientist. I'm not a surgeon. Most of my decisions are not life or death decisions. So I am very, very much of make a decision, try it, and then you tweak it. I think about that in terms of the 80-20 rule and, you know, how many people it needs to be just perfect because they don't want to make a mistake. Well, I am thrilled with the literature today that talks about failing fast. It's like, gosh, darn it, just get something started and then you can tweak it. Then you can correct it. But, you know, nine times out of 10, it's not going to be 180 degrees incorrect. It's going to be slightly Mm -hmm. adjusted and you know again unless it's a life or death decision the consequences to doing something and tweaking it far 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 tell you you do not get any return when you focus on the 20 percent of the remainder get it directionally correct and go and keep going. You know, uh, I was talking to Martha May. She's on a podcast earlier and she also similar profile to you. And, you know, she said one of the things she likes to do is to have someone who alongside her, a partner who is maybe a little more on the, was it the maximizer profile, just to do a little check with her because she tends to move quickly. And so she'll have a little bit of counterbalance when she's making some decisions. Somebody that's going to say, okay, Here's a couple of things to watch out for, you know, to balance that that decision making or moving pretty quickly. What about perfectionism? This is a big one and it comes up a lot in sometimes with women, I know. And I'm curious when it comes to decision making, perfectionism, wanting to make sure it's right. Talk about that a little bit. What are your observations and experiences there? Well, we spend a lot of time on seeking perfection, not wanting to make mistakes. And certainly women are so much more conscientious of this than male counterparts are, right? And so it's change is really all about building awareness and the recognition that that something needs to change. So when I have the opportunity to speak to women's groups in particular, we talk about perfection. And, you know, there's a there's a quote that I use in a leadership series that says, you know, perfection is the antithesis of authenticity. And I love that quote because I'm am much more on the authentic side and not about perfection. Now, part of it may be the rebel in me because I was raised with a, a in a household with a mom and dad and mom was a teacher and I came in with a 98 on an exam and she's like, well, where's the two points go? Right. And it, it was always about that perfection. And so at some point, I was able to let go of that and say, you know what? The 90A is just as good as the 100A. And I've protected some sanity and I've maintained some balance of life. 
And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, there is no question in my mind that women hold themselves back because of this fear of failure, because of the risk reward construct. And I know we've talked about the data out there that, you know, women won't apply to jobs because they don't think they're qualified and men apply when they meet 50% of the criteria. Exactly. And women are still waiting to, to meet 100% of it. So I do think that that perfection, even in decision making, has a tendency to to hold us back. And it's like, where does that start? You know, is it in elementary school when you, you say something wrong and people laugh at you? Who cares? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, for sure. Yeah. You know, I also... It's, I always feel like, too, in high change, it's kind of pretend perfectionism, right? You think you're getting the right answer, but you're really, you know, you're not because everything's changing so rapidly. But I do, I do see that. Let's talk a, a few minutes about, you touched on this in some of your stories, but about resistance. I would say that is probably one of the most common questions that I get of, I want to change. I have this big idea. I know what needs to be done, but there's resistance around me. That's a complicated little topic. What advice do you have for somebody that's in that situation? Well, just face the fact that there's always going to be people who resist, right? Just get that in your head and get comfortable with it. And what you have to determine, and this sounds so calculated, but it is the process that that we use in stakeholder management, stakeholder identification. You have to determine the power or the influence of any resistor. So it's like, you know, at the end of the day, you don't agree with the direction that I've headed, but you have no influence in the organization. People don't listen to your words or your advocacy or lack thereof. And we got 24 hours in a day. So I don't spend a lot of time with those folks. I, I say, you know what, they're, I'm going to say the sun is up and they're going to say, no, it's cloudy. So you, you move on. And this is another thing that as a female, right, you got to get comfortable with the fact that not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to agree with you. And, and that's okay. Again, right? remain remain on that north star but you're always going to have resistors and what you have to do in your analysis is determine how important that resistance is now if you've got resistance at the highest levels and ultimately the individuals that people listen to and get paid by if those individuals are the ones that are creating the resistance then you're probably going in a, a, a different direction but it's really, you got to get analytical about it and just evaluate what is the threat of that resistance or do I move anyway? And, you know, the other, the other strategy we use a lot of times is get the, get co-option. So who is it that doesn't like anything that, you know, any change, they believe the status quo is their uh, right and it's not broken, so they don't need to fix it. Well, if you can figure out a way to get one or two of those individuals on the bandwagon, it's kind of like the old life cereal commercial. Hey, you know, if Mikey likes it, Mikey hates everything type of thing. And if you co-op them and they become vocal advocates, then 
everybody else will fall in line. I also, I like your, you know, being analytical about it. You know, there are some people who are permanent resistors. Like you said, it isn't going to matter what they, what you come up with. It is not going to be their preference. And so if you've got that, okay. But sometimes resistance might be useful information for you. What, what is it? Is there a problem we need to solve? You know, so being a little bit more analytical versus just the peanut butter approach of it, all resistance is bad and I treat them all the same. You know, I think your, your comment there is, is probably pretty helpful for anybody who feels like they don't have the support they need. I want to ask you about, as I said at the beginning, you are a true, I think of as a true Renaissance woman. I mean, literally have done so many different things and in so many different situations and settings, business, academia, community, women's leadership group. I'm curious, do you bring your same toolkit to each of those settings? Do you adapt in any way? Should someone who's trying to figure out how do I create change, have influence in all these different settings? Well, again, to me, change is about fundamental human behavior. And it doesn't matter if it's academia, it doesn't matter if it's corporations, it doesn't matter if it's small businesses, it doesn't matter if it's community. You know, the basic definition of organizations are two or more people working towards the same goals. It's human behavior. Now, I I love and have said multiple times, my passion is women's leadership. So I know without hesitation, when I'm in leadership presentations for just women, I probably do more male bashing than I would in other circumstances. <laughs> Probably so, yes. <laughs> so I, I do try to tone that down a little bit. And, you know, at the end of the day, I've decided that I get frustrated at the opposite sex when I really shouldn't because it's not even a conscious behavior on their part, right? They just don't even think about it. And it's like you're letting them get to you and you, and you really shouldn't. But again, to me, all of the activity And I know, you know, I I am confident because of my personality and because of my not so conservative views that there are women in my sorority that every time I step foot on a stage, they roll their eyes or they want to escape because they don't want to hear my my message, you know, but I treat the sorority and the volunteer change opportunities the same way I treat the paid for change opportunities. It is fundamentally about changing human behavior, unfreezing beliefs and rote ways of operating that they don't even do consciously anymore, changing that to what that future state looks like and then working on the refreezing and it really doesn't matter what audience it is. And, you know, that's encouraging from the standpoint of, you you know, human behavior is constant. It is in some ways, it can be predictable. You don't have to worry about this group or if you're in an organization, this division and the way these people, or if you're authentic, you are who you are, then that's enough too. You don't have to change and pivot to try to fit in every situation is what I, you know, kind of hearing you say. Yeah, for sure. And I'll, I'll just add, I had one client that was predominantly 
the project team was predominantly 30-something males. And they, in this particular industry, they had all risen to be store managers. This was a, a retail client. And when they heard that we were going to have some seminars around organizational change, and they're, they're coming into this conversation, is like, I, I know that you all are thinking this is touchy-feely stuff. I don't want to be in this conversation, but let me give you a secret organizational change is human change and what we're talking about in here related to this corporate initiative you can apply to your personal life so if you're married if you're dating you know i am going to help you crack that nut are you interested in that <laughs> because it's about human behavior. behavior which is the common the common thing okay in this we don't have a lot of time left so i want to ask you a couple of questions that i ask all guests as we before we wrap up the first one what do you know now that you wish you had known then i think the thing that i continue to learn and just be fascinated by is something that we, we talked about earlier. The majority of the population is, they want stability. They don't enjoy change. And if you go through Myers-Briggs or you go through DISC or you go through even colors, looking at personality types, the majority of the population wants action to be defined by dotting I's and crossing T's. They, they want that level of instruction in order to proceed. And I am just the polar opposite of that. And I just had no idea that there were that many people out there that needed that level of instruction to be able to move forward. And that was you learned over time. You kind of realized that that was the reality of the world around you. Yeah, that they just, they can't just go with the flow. They, they need the set of instructions. And, you know, I, and when we do the colors exercise in the sorority in particular, and you've got 10 tables in the room, we, we actually use the colors profile. Six of those table would be gold. And those are the rule followers, right? They are the discipline. The majority of them happen to be teachers, interestingly enough. Then you've got, you know, out of the remaining five, two of the tables will be relationship oriented and one of the tables will be orange, which are the creatives. And one of the tables will be green, which is my profile, which is strategic. And, you know, those goals that want to follow instructions, they want to dot the I's, they want to cross the T's, they want to check it off the list and then they want to move forward, operate in a completely different way that I do as a strategic person because I care less about dotting I's and crossing T's. Personally, I go with the flow. I see what happens. I move on. But given that the bulk of the audience needs that level of information, I have to find a way to give that to them. To adapt to that. Yeah. So or, or find somebody that can help yeah. play that interim role. Thing. So for you, it was not only so much about yourself, but also the world around you, the people yes. that you're working with. Nice. Okay. Last question before uh, we wrap up. What are you reading, watching, or listening to that makes you think? 
I, I try to find things to read, watch, and listen to that don't make me think. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> you enjoy. Maybe that's a better way to put it, right? <laughs> yeah, I really try to find ways to uh, let my brain off the hook because we, you know, the thought leadership and the the conceptual stuff that we do in consulting is so all-consuming. You know, I, I read and I listen to anything that Brene Brown does. I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek as well. Yeah. In terms of leadership development, I read all kinds of women's biographies as well. And and not all of them are necessarily leaders, but all, all of them have life experiences. So, you know, I just, I have bookshelves of um, women and the way that they view the world, but I don't do as much listening. I am, I'm an experiential learner, so it doesn't do me a whole lot of good to listen to education or be lectured to that doesn't that doesn't work for me I I squirm I can't wait to get out of the room so most of my listening is really to exercise the the other part of my brain and it comes in music Ah, comes in in dance me too well I think you know I'll close Tammy with I think one of the important things you mentioned is also if you are in a a role, a job that is very mentally demanding. Sometimes one of the things you can do for yourself is have a different outlet and and let yourself experience something that you enjoy and that's relaxing. That can be just as important. So with that, Tammy, thank you. Thank you. We laughed at the beginning that it took a podcast for us to get together and catch up. I think we need to have another one because I still have more questions, but Thank you so much for joining. And I think all your insights are so helpful and will be so helpful to to everyone listening. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you all for joining us today for Be A Wave Maker Conversations on Change. I hope you learned something new that you can take back and use. Please subscribe as we'll have more conversations on change coming very soon. Have a great week.